Welcome to episode 32. Check out what we have in store for you this week. Josh, I do have the bullets out of order, right? I'm going to go last to first here. Yeah, that makes total sense. Exactly. Don't worry, I've got, I got you. Thanks, bro. You just have to find what would motivate adults, what would motivate young adults, right? That's the only thing you have to change. Um, one of the things you point to, we're not necessarily pointing to a specific app, but pointing to the idea of, can you use video games in your education experience? Okay, this time it's a little more planned than last time. We were in the middle of an episode last week, and I just turned to Josh right and said, you know, we need to cut this. We need a part two. And so here we are back yeah. for part two. That's how we do our planning. Basically, in the middle of the episode, we're just like, ah, Maybe part we should two. do something else. Yeah, maybe we should keep topics going or something, you know? Weird. We are Weird. the High Tech Podcast. This is Will and Josh, as always. Looking forward to continuing the conversation on gamification this week. Of course, you've got the usual things like a fun question, etc. to come, but uh, we're pretty stoked. I love, I love this topic. You know what I mean? It's something I love yeah. doing, game and stuff like that, and I love education. So clearly, yeah, exactly. Bring them together. We're not. We're like we're we're nerds. You know, we like to. We're adults who still play video games, which is luckily more common now. So we're you know, yeah. not quite as weird. <laughs> uh as we were yeah uh but uh yeah I, like it's fun when uh something that you like like games can connect to education you know yep in a meaningful way so it's a good conversation but uh before we move forwards let's take it back right so the fun question of the week is what was the first video game you remember playing do you do you have it on lock i i thought it through i think i've got it um I think I do, but I want you to answer the question first because right. I just read the question like ten minutes yeah, ago. Okay. So I'm okay. trying to think through what uh what I what I got here. This is how we plan, folks. So my yeah. first video game I remember playing uh, in my basement, very dingy basement, uh, not a finished basement. It was on a tube television. There were all the knobs, and you could take them out and crap, and it was wonderfully retro. <laughs> That's my what's my might say today. There's probably people who buy that TV now at a secondhand store yeah. for $400. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. We it's th- like record players. We, it gives a better video. We threw know? ours out and people would pay like premium to buy that TV. Yeah. Uh it was um the NES, Nintendo Entertainment Center and it was Super Mario Brothers. I mean like straight up first first style of that is what I remember playing as a kid and sucking at it so bad. I could not I could not get through the levels, you know. I like the the challenge of trying to like jump on toads and bridge gaps, but yeah, yeah. I'd watch my brother okay. play, and he would like nail it, and I'd be like, "What the heck?" He was eight years older than me, so you know, <laughs> that was well a little easier. But that one, that one's the first one I remember playing, and then like my first like favorite video game would definitely have been um, James Bond Goldeneye in N sixty four. Ooh, I crushed that's a good one. I crushed I played on that, that one game. in a while. Yeah, that was a good game. I remember playing that a good bit with the one little joystick you got on the N64 that made very little sense. The weirdest um, controller. But we totally did it. Uh, it was totally great. Yeah, I don't... I was So I'm trying to remember, right? So I got a couple different memories of, like, early video games. I think... I don't think I'm making this up in my head. I think this is a real experience that I had. But I remember... I don't remember what console it was. Might have been NES. Um, or it might have been Sega. I don't... That was I don't remember. There was like a a stick like cowboy game. They were like like stick figures, yeah. and you had like little guns. You had to like shoot a, shoot away a wall, if I remember correctly. I think that was like one of the early games I remember playing, but I don't remember the name of it. I just remember playing it with my dad, so I don't <laughs> I don't really know. 
Um, the like earliest games that I can remember like names and like enjoying was like when I had the Super Nintendo. Mm. And I played like Donkey Kong Country. Yep. And uh, there was some like weird vampire or warlock game I played on there. I remember playing Castlevania. It was like a maybe I don't, but I don't know okay. that and like Street Fighter. Oh. You know, I remember playing Street Fighter on Super Nintendo. I was a big Street Fighter fan. Um, yeah, I feel like those are some of like the early games I remember playing. Yeah, in my lifetime, yeah. you know, I didn't really get into video games until like later in life. I feel like it wasn't like I sort of played those. I like those, and then. I've played, you know, as you and I have talked on many occasions, uh, how I was never allowed to buy a memory card for the PlayStation 1, <laughs> and uh, I played some games there, and I feel like I got, like, burnt out on that, so I just never played video games until much later. What he skipped over, but is was implicit in what he said, is he since he didn't have the memory card, he had to play it over and over and over. Oh, yeah, guys. I got really good at the first three levels of Spyro, the first three levels of the PlayStation 1 Phantom Menace game, Oh yeah, and uh, like I only got I only ever got to the Gungans. I never got to the good parts. You know, I was like, I was really good at getting to the Gungan City, and then I never got to anything that after like that. Purgatory, frankly, it was it was not great. I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> it was not the most ideal ever. Um, that's for sure. And like I think first couple levels of Mega Man, I remember playing Mega Man. Wow, and I was I was pretty good at that. Yeah, kids these days don't even know what a memory card is. Like I, I, I know I, they're I like even, they're like I just what is that? That's I a just legitimate save on thing things. to say, right? Like yeah, I like funny. multiple memory cards for the PlayStation Two. I remember mm-hmm. having to have like a little, a little container wallet. of them. Yeah, yeah, a memory yeah. card wallet. Yeah, you like <laughs> stuck them in there, and you had to like you know, you know to remember which one. You know, you put like tape on them. You hope and write down what you saved on which one, so you can remember, and then you like plug it in. You hope yeah. that when you got some allowance and you went to the store, that you could buy a different colored one, right? Or that they had different. Oh yeah, ones one of the see through ones. But if you didn't have the allowance and if they had black in stock that week like you just had the same memory card sitting next to you sit there like yeah, sticking exactly. them all in your thing until you could find which yeah. one had your save game on it this is this is taking us down uh memory lane but just for a second do you remember so i don't you were an xbox guy right so you weren't really a playstation i had a playstation 2 Okay, do you remember the uh, thing that you had to plug it, like the little box you had to plug into it to be able to play with four players? Oh, yeah. Because it didn't it didn't <laughs> yeah. have enough, it didn't have, what was it called, like a multi-tap or something? Yep. It was like, yep. it didn't have enough plugs. Like, Xbox was like, we'll allow four people, and PlayStation was like, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> right. And then they were like, oh, you do? Okay, well, here's a, a mini PlayStation box that you can plug in that allows you to play four players. <laughs> And it looked just like the PlayStation. It was like it did. It, it was, looked like a little it. version of the PlayStation Two, and you just like plugged it in, oh, and you could put four people into it. Yeah, my gosh, uh, it's amazing how that technology develops. And and like even today, you're, you're you're right there, right? Like PlayStation said, no, we think that at most our our user base would want to use two at the same time. Like I can't imagine, you know, we're not going to or they want to make money off of a multi tap. That sounds like something Apple would do, so it makes sense. But, uh, you know, hashtag not a sponsor. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when it came to Xbox, they said, oh, we want to have four. That's great. They launched with four. And now today, almost all of the consoles are like, we want one person to play on each console. You know, every they want their designing yeah. them to be played alone from home with people online. And I'm like, yeah, ah, that's kind of, that's kind of rough because... I liked the, you know, split screen experience. It brought people together. You, you couldn't screen peek. You you know, there's so much that was involved in that. that I think made yeah. it a more social I mean, Will, experience. you do know the new consoles do allow you to connect four controllers, though. You, you know, like, 
Well, it's all wireless you're now, aw- so it's just You're easy, aware of but, that, right? Yeah, okay, I'm just making sure. But, but um, you know, like, there's not as even as many games that are built to play co-op or, or, or like, you know, split-screen co-op, that kind of thing, so... Yeah, oh no, that's it's just like true. I think it's just a change in the in the gaming genre. And of course it makes them more money. Yeah, exactly. On that note. Yeah, besides besides money and economics, yeah. right? Um last time in this uh, two-parter experience, we dug into a lot more of the theory and I think we spoke to some of the motivation that's in gaming and and maybe why Josh and I are interested in this, of course. Um but we had like another three or four examples even before we finish that episode of like things we wanted to get into so this week i uh, definitely want to start out with a, f- a couple of practical elements like just the ideas of what you might want to con- include in your in your your classroom uh, online or, or physical uh, and then give some examples so josh i do have the bullets out of order right i'm going to go last to first here but yeah that makes total sense exactly um don't worry i've got i got you thanks bro you. look at that look how crazy that is look what i did so like there's, something. I, I don't think that there's necessarily the all-inclusive list of everything you must have in a game that you would want to have in a classroom or, you know, no, like, there totally is. There's, there's, there's tons of elements to all these things. Yeah. And, uh, I just wanted to give a couple of the tops that came to mind and that, that I think are useful. Like when a lot of people think of gamification, they think about what they could do to their class. I think we said this last time, but like, Oh my gosh, it's too much. You know, that's the reaction. I can't gamify my class. I'd have to do everything. Well, I want to give you some of these concepts. So maybe you could think about applying one or more of them to your class without having to recreate the entire class. Uh, So right, right, right up, right up front, right? We know this from Monopoly. We know this from life, but everything's got rules. And if you can consider putting rules into your classroom experience, that can be really helpful in helping the students engage with each other, helping them engage with your classroom. And and frankly, we already have those rules, right? But like usually they're considered syllabus policies, right? I think there's something yeah. to language. Like if you can change it, like the, here's our game rules. Here's how we're going to play this uh, semester together. You don't have to be that, you know, play like language, but that can be really helpful. Um, because like one of the games that I even like playing with friends, it's a card game. Literally the, 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 the rules of the game are like very simple. You know, you, uh, you, you pass a card, you pick up a card and pass one to your left or something, but there's secret rules that only the cow knows about. And everybody has to play against those rules. And (laughs) the cow has like ultimate power and can get people out of the game pretty easily. Uh, but as is with life the rules element is what makes it crazy and and suddenly the student you know the players are all trying to figure out what the rule is that the cow is playing against and and that can be tricky but is a really easy thing to bring into your classroom right like um every class here's a rule every class you must ask a question there you go i mean that it could be as simple as that you can then go on further and say every class you must ask one personal question of someone like hey why do you think that or how do you what what makes you come to that conclusion or something or you have to ask a very like content specific question question like what is the chemical makeup of hydrogen i don't know right but like that kind of rule is just easy you you're starting to gamify the class by saying students every class we do something you have to bring something to the table you have to engage a certain way that's gamification um it's one little piece in video games that's you know there's tons of rules there's physics rules there's points rules there's armor rules there's you know but you can just kind of find some of those easy things to do right um yeah 
The other one though, like, and this is already in your courses, but again, I think there's just an opportunity to kind of pivot it a little bit, make it more game-ish. Objectives, a goal, right? We all have learning outcomes. We all have something we have to write down what the course is supposed to accomplish. But if you can make objectives up there, awesome. You know, by the end of week one, I want you to accomplish what? By the end of week two, you should accomplish what? Uh, but if you really don't want to like make it that, you know, tr classical student outcomes are like verb, what did the student do, all that crap. You can make these more quest-like. Like by the end of week one, you will have explored the entire first chapter and understood you know the impact it has on society whatever it's it's yeah. it's a simple language change but then if you put new rules with new objectives and you put all of those through the course like it starts to build maybe a narrative or a theme and you don't even have to you still haven't talked about points you haven't talked about any of the other crazy stuff and you've begun gamifying your course uh i just realizing if i go into this much detail on all these We'll be here forever, so I'll, <laughs> I'll wrap the list up, right? So rules, objectives, feedback loops. There's got to be a time for them to try something and get your feedback. This is already academic, right? But this is in video games. Opportunities yeah. to try and try again. What Josh said about the memory card is what we're talking about, right? You can save your game, and if you fail a boss, try again, and fail a boss, and try yeah. again. He didn't have a memory card, and he was just stuck in an endless loop of purgatory. Yeah. Well, and that's a great example. Like, I, uh, that was frustrating. I only made it so far because I kept having to do the same stuff over and over and over again. Um, and, uh, like, and so that sounds like I'm saying, well, why would I want to have them try trying again and do stuff like the, the point of saving a video game is that like, it remembers where I'm at. So if I fail, I don't have to start the whole way back from the beginning. Right. I can start from a certain section and like in your course, right. You want to give them places to try, try and try again, because the reality is you don't want them to get to the end of the course fail. And then all of a sudden they have to do the whole thing over again um, yeah. or go through all the stuff. Again, you want places for them, safety nets, for them almost to be able to engage with the content, um, learn it, retain it, uh, practice it. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways that that applies that trying and trying again, um, really fits into that. Um, now just a reference. Cause you know what? Well, we have, we have time. Let's talk about this for a second. I want to go back to your feedback loop thing cool. for a second. Cool. Um, because one of the other reasons I think Will's talking about feedback loops. Um, I want to, let's just keep tying back the stuff you're talking about to our real video game life. Okay. So, yeah. Um, in video games, okay, let's uh, let's put it this way. So, uh, we've played games before where you have to like do something or do a puzzle or you're you're trying to create something, and maybe I do it the first couple times and it doesn't really tell me what's going wrong. But I love the video games that kind of passively aggressively tell you that you're not doing it right. Eventually, like you 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 do it wrong. Like I had this game where like I was trying to find where I was going in the game, and I kept doing the wrong thing to like beat this boss. And after three times, the game started giving me, like, suggestions. Like, hey, remember, there are weak points here. Or, yep. hey, remember, there's this... And uh, it was, in a way, a feedback loop. Like, it was giving me feedback on what I was doing, which was essentially, like, you're an idiot. There's stuff you need to be doing over here, and you're not doing it. Right. Um, start doing it that way. And it doesn't apply that way in education perfectly. But in education, you want to have those feedback loops. So students are working on things and getting feedback continually throughout the course so that they can make course corrections. They can figure out what they need to do and do it better so that they're not, again, I think a lot of with gamification is they think let's just give people badges and achievements. And while that's what we're going to talk about in a second, <laughs> a lot of it is more of just like setting up structures 
that engage them and also help them along the way, kind of take the training wheels off, so to speak, as you're going. That is something that games do f- incredibly well, and part of the reason people get so into them yeah. is because they put people into an experience and they help guide that pe- that person through that experience uh, in a very kind of careful way. Um, people don't even notice when and, they're, and, they're going and through And a it. direct example of this for me, just a couple weeks ago, Josh and I have been playing a game since about when we started the podcast, right? And uh, we're getting to end game, so you know it's getting easier in a sense, but it's a lot of grind. You gotta get, you gotta do a lot of stuff to get the last few things done. Uh, months we've been playing this game for months, and just two weeks ago, like a little pop up hint showed up while I was doing something that said, "When you get frozen by this thing, if you hit melee, it'll break oh, you out." Oh yeah! And I was like, "I got that too." I was like, <laughs> "I've been playing this game for months, and every time I get frozen by blah 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 enemy." I just sit there and wait the three seconds. You know what I mean? And and here that pop-up shows up. And it's like hit melee and it'll let you out. And I hit melee and I rolled out and I was like, oh, now it all makes more sense. I've been playing yeah. this game for months and have just been suffering the consequences yeah. of freeze, right? And I could I could have done something about it. And and that feedback loop has changed my gameplay. Now I can fight so yeah. much better when dealing with these things. Well, and a good example of this in the class example then would be like how many times have students been left on their own to try to like look how many math class have I taken and I'm doing these math problems and I'm doing something wrong the entire way and I didn't know uh, because I did 50 problems and then got feedback two weeks later from the, the instructor. It's yeah. like, well, you did this wrong. And then I got this massive, you know, bad grade on that thing. And these are real life experiences I've had. And it's like, well, you made me do these 50 problems and I never, you know, (laughs) no one, no one told me I was doing it wrong. I've been doing it wrong for 50 problems. If I would known that at problem two, maybe I could. And that's where we're talking about in a gamification experience. You can create that type of feedback loop. You can create that try, try again experience. Like you're, and you, there's ways to make it fun. And there's other ways just to like implement that principle in a way you're doing gamification. Um, now there's good educational terminology for some of those examples. Um, but in a way you're doing some gamification. Um, now I think we should probably talk about the next thing on your list, um, which I tend to bust on more than not, um, which is achievements. (laughs) So So maybe talk through what you're, what you're thinking. The the first thing that I want to get to on this is like, before we get to the bashing, because I am all for it right i (laughs) remember the first time i don't okay i don't remember exactly the the exact achievement but i remember the feeling right first time i was playing a video game on the xbox 360 on the xbox because that's where it was introduced to me i don't think they i don't think any system had it before this in a uniform way i did something i let's just say i got a, a quad kill right i killed four enemies in a row under three seconds it must have been That's Halo. Halo folks, it must have been Halo, right? And uh, you know, in the I, I did it. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I just did that!" And then, ding, something popped up in the bottom middle of my screen, opened up on screen, and said "Quad Kill" and gave me a cool little badge icon and something. And I was just like, "Oh dang! Not only did I just do that, but now everybody knows I just did that." For me, that meant something. Because I loved playing that game and I was trying to get good and I felt like getting that quad kill was an example of improving my skill, right? So please hear that I was already motivated. I was already intrinsically engaged with what was happening before I even got the achievement. I would have been excited just accomplishing the quad kill and then I got the achievement which reinforced the excitement. 
That is not true for every person who plays games or takes your course. And that is, to me, the first point where achievements fall apart. They are great motivators for people who like getting a little attaboy, who like getting a gold star. But if you're not engaged in that, it's just a piece of paper or it's not it doesn't even exist. In most cases, it's just a virtual little icon or something like that. Yeah. Now, let me let me break something down for you, because here's here's my where I want to break down your experience. And why I think there are ways you can use it effective. Because I, I bash on... The thing we're bashing on, if you don't know, is badges. Mostly is where this comes up. Like, people... One of the things that happen at a gamification, I think, is a lot of people were like, Badges! Like, we'll badge things! Clearly, that works. We'll give, that works! That's how we're going to motivate them. And it, it didn't seem to work. Yeah. Um, like, people weren't getting motivated. Now, here's why, I think. Um, you made a, a subtle comment there, which is that you liked this game. Cared about this game. And the achievement gave a name to something that you were doing in the game, right? Okay, and so where I think we failed with badging is that people will try to badge just, like, for random things. Or, like, you know, an attaboy <laughs> on a discussion, you know? Like, you you know, you did, uh, you posted, good job, here's, here's a, a badge gold star. for posting three weeks in a row. I didn't want to, I was required <laughs> yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, we're required to. And, and we laugh about this, but achievements are already built into education. That's what grades are. Um, like in a certain extent, but here's where I think we can leverage the achievement idea in gamification better. Use badging or achievements to give names to kind of these, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The word's not in my head right now. Um, but, uh, kind of, uh, untangible things in a course that achieve. So good examples would be, um, like, setting up badges for like if people apply certain principles well in papers or um they like they you know there's a concept that they end up applying out well i'm not i'm not expressing this well because the idea is really just kind of coming to me as i'm talking about it but kind of this idea of taking the intangible and using badging to give kind of a tangible Rep- uh, yeah. achievement you know making it making it clear that progression is happening well and i like that um, and that's with, where i think it's different i like that you went with paper and i think there's a good way to like distinguish it with a paper right a lot of people might look at a, a paper and what they could uh, give students achievements on them for that and be like okay if you met the page limit if you cited mm. all your citations correctly like those are very checklisty um yeah and quantifiable things like that's really easy to be like oh that's a badge Ooh, unquantifiable and, there we go and, and i think yeah, i, I <laughs> think that um what you just actually pointed out would be better to say you know successfully used a thesis statement that engaged me or or used an effective hook right like something like that is actually much more relevant to the writing of the paper than met the page limit or you know, Mm. met the citation limit or cited everything correctly. Like, I'd rather see a badge on papers be about, you know, um, effectively integrated a point from paragraph two or whatever, an early paragraph into a paragraph made at a later time in the paper. That would be a skillful application of Obviously shorten it for your badge. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, like another example would be like, I don't know, you're teaching English and you have methods of rhetoric in you know, argument, pa- argumentative papers, right? Yep. So yep. like what, how could you give a badge to this? And this is where you were, um, I think something you just helped me with. You said quantifiable really where I think badges and achievements, like making these up are helpful is giving a name to the unquantifiable, the stuff that's hard to quantify. Right. Right. So like, 
um, student uses this type of rhetoric really well. There's a you know, create a badge or an achievement for that type of rhetoric, yeah. so that it gives kind of a tangible example of you achieved something you progressed in something mm -hmm. in your you gave a name to something that you did and in that can help um motivate it can help encourage students um and it's just like even that small encouragement can help them do better later on in the course or persevere through other things in the course yeah and that's where i think achievement can actually help when it's not just when it's tying the achievement or the the motivating progression to actual success in the, in the project or thing that they're working on or in the course, when it's tying it, not just to checklisty items or to you submitted your paper or you posted or, or they're too vague where they're just like, good. You had a good idea. Okay. What does that mean? Right. It's when you tie so if I got it a good idea. Now, do I need to do a better idea later? <laughs> yeah. The, the idea is you need to take the untangible, make it more tangible with the achievement, and that helps give a name to the progression and success that the student is having. And I think at that point helps motivate and encourage the student, which encourages better learning ultimately in the course. My last point to achievements would be another lesson learned from Halo, right? And this is, this is actually going to play into the last element that we'll get to about choice, but if you played the game Halo... Or if you play many modern games today, like you've got difficulty levels, easy, normal, you know, hard. Uh, uh, Halo used the final term that the most the most difficult was called legendary, right? That was the difficulty mode legendary. I loved it. Well, if you played the game through on on easy, you didn't get an achievement, right? Because it was as easy as it could possibly be. No achievement. It, you did it. Good job. Right. I can play it, too. It's like reading a book at that point. You put it on normal, and it actually, you completed the game, and you got an, an achievement. Congratulations, you completed it on normal. And then if you completed it on heroic, you got an achievement for completing on... But if you complete... If you, from the from the get-go, you started and ended the game on legendary, it would give you the achievements for normal and heroic as well, right? You never had to go and get the achievement for normal if you beat it on heroic. You know, if you worked your way up, you could work your way up, but there was also that achievement. Like if you were just that dang good, you could do the legendary from the get go and get all the achievements in the middle. I'm not necessarily saying we need to make it like a cheat code slip through to like beat your course in a week kind of thing. That's not what I'm suggesting with this like legendary idea, but the leveling progression is something to be considered. If you're working in weeks one through three on introducing them to these topics of rhetoric and they start introducing those in their papers awesome but if by the end of the semester they're introducing them well you need to be considering like an early badge yes you did it good like good job you you included that red rhetorical device in your writing but by the end of it it needs to be you included it so well it you you exceptionally included it there's got to be space to like provide achievement for folks and and you can give those earlier on in the semester if people are doing that right but it's more likely in the beginning of a semester that the students are only just getting it in there, not doing it well or doing it exceptionally well, for instance. That's something I think that like achievements need some space for because if you've got a student who gets in there in week one and all you're doing, the only thing you've got to give them is, good job you included that rhetorical device, are they going to have to get 15 of those? This like Every week they're just going to be looking to get the same, good job mm. you did that rhetorical device. You want to give them something that like they can get when they're not as good and that they can get once they get better. 
Yeah, and I think to your point, like while I don't think it works in every course, there are ways to work through like what is it what would it look like for a student who does really well on this assignment to move to a different assignment than a student who doesn't do as well. Like right. what does it look like to sure. try to have that type of progression? And there, your LMSs and stuff have a lot of things that can help you do this. Like Canvas, the one that we use has a system like that. There's a, a mastery progression system you can implement in a course where um, if a student gets a certain grade or, uh, you know, points on an assignment, Canvas will actually help divert them to different assignments depending on what, what happens. Right. And even sometimes bypass. And we use this in education already where we let people test out of things. But what would it look like to implement that at a smaller level in a course where, you know, maybe a student who does really well in this assignment maybe can move on to a slightly harder activity or something. And there's um, and you don't have to make it obvious to the students you're doing this because the students who go to the, the easier activities will be maybe unmotivated if they find out they're not doing great. Right. Um, but it, it, if you do this right, it also helps maybe uh, lift that student up who's struggling by not necessarily throwing them in the deep end right away. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I feel like in higher ed that's looked down on doing it that way because it's like, oh, they should figure it out. You know, that's handholding the student. It's like, right. well, you know, like some students are going to pick certain things up quicker. They're going to struggle with different topics in different ways. Um, and uh, like if we're really out there to help the student learn, like why is it such a big deal to do something like that? So, and if video um, games are such like a multi, multi hundreds, millions, dollar, maybe billion dollar industry. And all they do is handholding. Like what? <laughs> I, I don't mean I'm, to belittle like they, the issue, but it's like, it's yeah. not, it's not the end of the world to help somebody through something. It, what? When, yeah. When did they become? And a at bad the end thing? of the day, they learn it. Like, uh, uh, people bash on video games, but there's a reason people get so pulled into video games and uh, they learn to do the things in them. Like video games are masters of taking people into something they haven't done before yep. and showing them how to do it um, and taking it off to the point where like by the end of the game, you feel like a, a monster, like you're just ridiculous at it. Like, and so that's not, you know, that hard, uh, I think in that place. So um, before we move on real quick to our, our uh, kind of next segment in here, I do want to touch on a little bit of like the examples you had. Uh, in here that I think can tie into. Um, I'll touch on mine just real quick. I think a, a good example that I've seen with this is I really like simulation um, tools. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is not like uh, virtual reality simulation. Like there's a really simple way to do simulation in a lot of courses that I think people overlook. Um, now you could do that through some cooler tools like H5P that we talked about in our uh, episode a little while ago. Um, but uh, there's some other ways you can do what I'm about to say with like quizzing and stuff like that. So um, and this gets into the choice that you're talking about. Well, uh, a little bit, I think is creating just simple, like choice quiz type of things where students get to, uh, make decisions about things and, and reap the repercussions of them. Yeah. Um, so a good example of this would be like, I've seen, uh, in a counseling situation where somebody set up a home visit simulation where like they were basically, they came into this type of quiz situation. There were some images that they embedded some video, but they would come into a situation where they would ask, like, you know, you're coming into this home visit, you're going to be here, and then a question would pop up. Okay, what are you going to do in this type of situation? You know, what would you say? Right? And so in a very basic quiz, you could set that up, but they kind of built the simulation where, like, they had a video that was showing the student, you know, from first person, showing the person get into it. Um, and uh, it was just kind of cool. It was like it like got them to a moment where they had to make a decision like they would in a home visit. Quiz asked them and they didn't lose points depending on their answer. It was just depending on their answer, it changed what happened next in the right. simulation right. and it changed which type of question they got next. 
and uh it's not that difficult to set this type of stuff up sometimes um and uh by doing it you kind of create this cool experience for the student and you uh simulate real life examples where they can apply what they're learning um which i think is is really cool yeah and and i think that one of the things that's kind of tricky about that for some folks is imagining what it would be to do that, right? Like, how am I going to, what, what, what do I need to do, Josh, to like make that kind of simulation? A quiz. Most quiz tools yeah. are, are going to be sufficient enough to, to get that done. A survey and tool. A, yeah, I was going to say, if a quiz can't do it, you can probably find a survey tool that has uh, logic choices in it. Right. Uh, that would be a way that you could do that. So like, cause some of your limitations of quizzes are going to be, do they have logic Right. tools google forms or a way to though, do it has that so like if you're a google yes. if you're a google uh, school or if you have your personal google account you can do these things in, in google forms microsoft does as well Micro yeah, if you right. use microsoft but uh it would allow like logic choices where like if they answer well i would say this to my client that it opens up a different question for them right or maybe opens up another section of video like in a form yep. you could embed some video and that question takes them to that video right right and depending on what they answer there um, the way I could do it in like, cause I use canvas. So uh, in my environment, if I was going to do this through just my tools in canvas, just a perfect example would be, uh, there's a completion tracking system in canvas. So I would probably set up that depending on the quiz answer they get, they get a certain amount of points. And depending on that amount of points, the completion would open up the next piece of media or something like that, that they would go into, um, and do. So there'd be a way for me to do that. Uh, depending on what I wanted to do there. So it's, but it's basically just setting up a question, being able to set based on that answer. Does it go here or here and a form or an LMS could do that for you. Um, it's just kind of thinking through those pieces. And I'm sure if you have somebody who knows that LMS at your institution, like, I don't know, an instructional technologist, um, <laughs> they could probably help you figure that out. <laughs> Amazing. Well, and, and I, you know, that is another example of how like gamification can be done cheap. Like you don't have to make a game. It doesn't have to all become a game to make your course gamified, right? You could just add a simulation experience in. Boom. You've now added a gamification element. Now, I say that to tell you about one of the coolest things I've ever heard about where an instructor, uh, Beth Box, she is a K-12 instructor. Uh, she used to use, or at least she used a Schoology, a learning management system that I used um, for quite some time, Josh, Josh used it before he, you know, moved on with his life. I get it. I get it. It's fine. You know, the better, bigger dream. Yeah, sure, you know? sure. But um, I was at a conference and she was, it was a school age conference. She was speaking on what she did in her classroom. And so she was wrestling with um, engagement. Students were not completing assignments, were not getting good grades on assignments. Um, and she was really down about it. So she, with her district pulling on Schoology, she decided she was going to do something radical. She gamified her entire her entire civics class, everything was gamified. When the students came in and started day one, they picked an avatar. They got their username. They could see that there was this points system. There was a store that they could buy things from with their points. Like she did everything. She and every single um, page in the course was narrative content, right? So none of it read in 1985, blah, 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 blah. It was like, so you're journeying down the, the path towards the year 1985 and you consider this option before you. Like, it was a game. The entire course was a game. She poured her heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears into it, right? And she reported on 100% engagement that year when she did it. I mean, it's astounding what she got out of her effort. 100% um, engagement doesn't mean perfect grades, right? But 
yeah. from from struggling to get barely any of her students to do anything in her class, she turned her class into a game. She met miraculous response from the students and they really really enjoyed it she was uh at the time that she was speaking on it in the conference i think she was doing it for her second or third year right so she not only did it one year but then because she had built the curriculum she could use it again and again uh and and it's just awesome right when you can put that much time into it when you can do the entire course there is an opportunity for a great return but it is a k-12 context she did put a whole summer's worth of work and probably more into it. She made little icons. She made, you know, names for everything, right? And she taught civics through a gamified course, the entire game. Yeah. Really cool. But again, into that point, like, that's an extreme point where somebody went to that. But take even small elements of what she did. The narrative writing. Yep. Like, if you're going to start with something, like, maybe it's like, okay, how can I engage a student better? Well, I gamification principle will be like well maybe i don't just like write information for them what if i actually wrote a narrative a story that they were going through and they got to you know just role play a character that they were in that space you don't have to create a bunch of icons to do that you know you can just kind of write out stuff so the point is is like there's elements i think that you can implement or you can go extreme and do something incredibly awesome like that (laughs) and uh I want to take that course. So that's, right. uh, there we go. I, I would learn a lot about civics. And and as one last anecdote on what she did, you know, she wrote all this stuff herself. But then if she had a PDF or an article or, a, you know, something that was real that she wanted them to read, she would just be like, oh, and now you've found this artifact. Open the artifact to find out more about what you need to complete the quest in this week. You know what I mean? And like the students would open a PDF and be pouring into it, trying to find the keywords and the da 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 that she couldn't have paid them to open before she mm-hmm. she tried this style and then as they did things as they completed activities quizzes stuff they got points and those points let them buy stuff in the store that was like they could change their username right if they set their username in week one it was set but if you got enough points in week three you could change your username you could uh, be the one that stood up at the front of the class and said good morning when everybody came in you could you could you could it was like the most expensive one i think was that they could change her username right they had to like save up all their points and they could change her username in the game so like <laughs> it's it was irrelevant it had nothing to do with the learning at necessarily at that point but for kids that was one of those motivational elements that really got them involved you just have to find what would motivate adults, what would motivate young adults, right? That's the only thing you have to change. You would probably still, you, if you did what Beth did, you would want a store. You would just put different things in there. Like the most expensive thing should be two credit, two, two extra credit points maybe, you know, or, or another chance at submitting a paper or, you know what I mean? Like there's plenty of things that you could put into some similar context for um, a higher education course. Okay, round two. In 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 this next corner, Irv Spanish, a good friend, Glenn Irvin. Um, he has been doing such awesome work for a long time to help his districts in Minnesota. Um, I've I've known him now. I don't even know, like eight years or something. It's crazy. But his his one um conference speech that I've seen him give is about Minecraft for Spanish. Right. So he used Minecraft as a tool to teach students Spanish, which is, which is a video game. If you people right. do not know that Minecraft so. is very <laughs> kind of silly. It's very simple. It's a, it's a block based games. So everything looks like cubes. Like it, it's almost like, what, what do you mean? But he had them. I, I don't want to like 
I don't want to overspeak. Glenn, if you listen, I'm so sorry if I butcher this, but like I I did attend your speech twice. It's okay, be angry at him. I it's attended fine. You're your allowed speech to. twice. So I think I've got some <laughs> facts here, right? He would have the students like create worlds where everything that was in the world I don't know if there's like a lot of writing or stuff, but if they had any words, it had to be written in Spanish in the word world. And then um what they would do is like to like talk to each other in it and talk to him in it, they had to like only describe the world they created in Spanish. And so they're create they're just having fun. Here I am hitting my mic. That's it. It's not a podcast if I haven't hit my mic or forgotten something. Sorry, folks. He's having them build an entire world, just play the game and have fun, right? But then they're creating like little museums of artifacts that are from their lives. And then they have to be able to talk about those things. Like if it's a Frisbee because they play Ultimate Frisbee, they need to learn the language to talk about that, to be able to describe it in class. I mean, how much more personal can it be? Like, A, they're having fun yeah. just playing the game. B, the stuff that they're building into it and the and the, the, the world they're creating is their own. And then, and then they get to like tell other people about it and share their story. The only stipulation, the rule, is they have to do it in Spanish. Now he's motivated them to participate and engage in a whole new level. Uh, I don't think he's teaching this anymore or more like frequently, but uh, it's it, it was really successful for him for a couple of years. And and Minecraft for Education exploded. Like tons of people use Minecraft uh, in different ways. Yeah, uh, that was just like his Spanish language teaching. I thought I thought it was so cool that he could get them involved like that. The last one. For me, uh, I got to play this while I was at my last institution, and uh, it was really, really kind of scary, frankly. It was a homeland security level or like kind of uh, RPG, like a simulation experience, where you assigned each of your students a nation. They were given resources and economy. They were told uh, which other nations they were friends with, which other nations they what they wanted to invade. They, there's like a terrorism element. Like there's this whole kind of almost risk level world, but it was a game. You get put into it, and and the students you know had to play out um, a way that they could get to world peace, right? And so they had to, all huh. these limitations on the game. Like well. You know, if Ghana doesn't like Nigeria and the Americas try and give uh, Nigeria help, then Ghana's Ghana's like of the United States is going to go down. Right. So you can't just you, you can't you, you, the U.S. just can't give everything away to, to Nigeria because that's going to piss Ghana off. And they have to, like, become presidents and, and, you know, secretaries of states and all these different titles and work in a world together trying to, like, be the United Nations, try and bring peace to this. And, and I think there's a, eventually a pandemic <laughs> an epidemic oh, that no. hits and you know you've got to like try and save lives while dealing got too with close that. to home yeah that took time that took money there's programmers involved like it's a big project and it's actually out there you could go find it um and use it yourself but those are examples right these things are are anything from do it yourself like beth box did to using something that exists like Minecraft and Glenn mm -hmm. or using, you know, or, or working with the team and a set of people to create something that's that's just unique to what you're trying to teach, like in that Homeland Security example. Um, it's tough, but, yeah, you know, this is this is the age we're in. Right. We're 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 in a space where we need to find the things that reach people where they are. And um, we don't want to get caught in like the age of empires. Right. We're not stuck in the old days. You know, yeah, we, not the... Uh, did you know that's a video game? We're here today. You, yeah, yeah, we're we're here yeah. today, but did you know Did you know that's a video game? What, Age of what, Empires? Age of, oh, did I? Did yeah. I just transition? Oh, you did. Oh. Um, so, our our app today is, is a little weird, I gotta be honest. Um, 
It's just video games. Um, so, um, we, we, uh, we're going to pick one of the apps that we have on our massive list that mainly Will has created. Um, but uh, <laughs> we decided um, one of the things we point to, we're not necessarily pointing to a specific app, but pointing to the idea of can you use video games in your education experience? Um, so we've given one example of Minecraft. A ton of people use Minecraft for education. Um, and obviously there are some very unique uses to that. Like it's not going to work for absolutely everybody, but, uh, encourage checking that out. Um, one of the other examples I have, uh, of a similar component to what Will was talking about is actually, um, knowing a guy who was talking that he used the game called age of Empires, So it's like a, uh, strategy war game. Um, it's probably how I'd, I would term it. You know, you're like a, a nation and you're fighting people and you know, you're an empire. Um, so, and they use historical uh, he actually, empires. Like it's references, all these different. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of different versions and, of oh, the game, fair, but fair, yeah, fair, that's, fair. there's a, uh, yes. But one of the big parts of the game is resource management. You have to like manage these resources cause you're building buildings, you're all this stuff. So he actually used it in a kind of, um, exactly that trying to teach resource management in kind of like a budgeting class. Um, it was, uh, trying to teach them how to, uh, manage a lot of different resources at once. Um, and obviously they were teaching a bunch of other like budgeting math type of things, but they used age of empires in a way to kind of, as the course progressed, students had to use, uh, that game, um, to basically learn how to kind of build, build up this empire, but it was teaching them how to do resource management. Um, like how do you keep track? How do you, you know, how do you, um, make sure you're going to have enough to do certain goals? Like he would set certain goals for them that they had to try to achieve in the game. Yeah. Um, and so that was just a, a good example of similar to Minecraft, um, using the game to kind of, I think the way a video games can be used well, is kind of, they're sometimes used in kind of a niche fashion where people are like, well, if I put a video game in my course, it'll really bring my students together. But the point is bringing like clear thought. Like how does the game enhance the learning? Like Minecraft enhanced the learning because he needed them to learn how to describe Spanish like they not describe Spanish, but describe things in, in, in Spanish. Spanish. You need to learn how to speak in Spanish. And so what did he do? He tied it to actually creating something and them having to describe what they're creating and only being able to work together in this through Spanish. Age of Empires is used because there's a natural resource system set inside the game. And so he's trying to teach them how to do budgeting and resource management. So why not put them in a virtual experience where they actually have to manage resources? Um, so like, Again, tying it to a practical thing that they have to do or learn or um, get involved in. And so I think that's a good example. Now, you have something written down here under the video game option <laughs> that I don't know what the crap this is. So what is this last example uh, that we could give recommendation for? This is one that I just learned about. I haven't even played it, but I've watched some gameplay and it looks just it looks a little cute, but it also looks amazingly challenging. It's called Baba is You. B-A-B-A, -B -A. Baba is, like I am, is you, um, and it's a logic puzzle game. So when you when you land on the map, it's a it's a little bit of a maze, right? It's every 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 map is a, a different puzzle, and you have to get Baba to the tree or the exit or the flag. Like you have to get Baba out, right? But on the screen are actually words like Baba is you, Baba is key, uh, Baba is tree, Baba is leaf, right? 
and there's only one word that says is. There's only one word that says baba. So you've got baba is, then you've got tree, leaf, key, door. And you've got to move stuff around the map, the map and like follow the logic of what is something. To, sometimes you have to turn baba into a tree and then you're no longer the baba, but you're a tree and the tree moves out to the exit and you just get out. Like you've got other things that get involved. So there's like rocks and, and, um, um, I don't know, like sand pits and, and things, obstacles, barriers that get in your way. There's doors that open. And so like you change everything you're doing, you, you kind of have to look at the puzzle. The first thing you want to do is like, oh, I'm just going to move Baba off the board. But you have to actually like consider the fact that the words or the rules, some, you know, I am this are a part of the game and you can change the rules and you have to change the rules to get Baba out sometimes. So yeah, the first map, you pretty much just walk Baba off, no problem. But then later on, you literally have to like turn Baba into a key, and then you have to change the fact that Baba is a key, that a key is a key, and it makes two keys, and then you get to kill one key, and you are the second key that gets out of the map. Like, it's this weird, <laughs> it's weird, dude, right? What? <laughs> but it's logic. You have you can't just look at the map like, there's the exit, how do I walk Baba through the exit? You have to think through, okay, I have... A baba, I have a key, I have an exit, I have a boulder. How do I use these things to get over the sand pit, you know, climb the tree and get out of the room? It's it's really challenging, and I think that that's something that you know, can help folks process through critical thinking skills. You could do it collaborative, so people have to do teamwork to help get out of, out of the room. Like, there's a lot of ways you could take that very simple game mechanic and just a logic game, um, not only make it fun, but also make it, uh, academic or, or educationally challenging. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's a new one for me. We're going to have to like, um, when, when we do like our, uh, you know, high tech streaming channel, we're going to have to like stream us playing Baba is you or something. Yeah. That seems like the natural progression of what just happened <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, well, on that note, uh, thank you again, guys. Join us another week in the high tech podcast where we talk about the hard-hitting issues like video games and gamification <laughs> and uh, whatever else we talk about. But in all honesty, uh, join us again as we talk about how we can enhance the classroom or the virtual, physical, um, whatever we could do. And I think gamification uh, has definitely a lot of principles that can help uh, you engage your students, help them learn, uh, help them wrestle with the content that you have. Um, so we hope that this was helpful uh, for you again this week. And uh